0: Steve from Baptist World Aid, please give him a hand and he's going to be sharing the Word of God with us today.
1: How about now? There we go. Um, maybe before I start, we've got a little video clip that I want to show. i realise realized that um, yeah, probably most of you don't know much about the work of Baptist World Aid, so this is just a bit of an introduction to about some of the things we do and how we do it. So... Uh, ...conflict, Watch this.
2: environmental crises, COVID. It's a perfect storm of disasters right now. One experts say will push millions of people into extreme poverty. That's living on less than $2 a day. I can't even buy a cup of coffee in Sydney for $2. And to be honest the news can feel overwhelming. It's heartbreaking to know mothers in Afghanistan are choosing whether to sell a daughter or feed their other children. That drought across parts of Africa will mean literally millions can't farm their lands or provide for their families. And it can be overwhelming watching COVID steal opportunities from children for school or jobs for their parents. But it doesn't have to be this way. No matter what's in the news, we know God is at work in the world, caring for those affected by conflict, environmental crises, and COVID. He's invited us to join him, and we do that alongside 38 local Christian partners in 18 countries. I'd love to introduce you to some of their stories and how they're responding to the most vulnerable we're encouraged to see that when we help a child learn to read and write we actually help an entire family get a little bit a little bit less vulnerable our partners uh, responses are focused on the highest risk areas mostly refugee settlements and people living in ultra poverty this is our call is be the light in the midst of the surrounding darkness for the people around us.
1: We don't
0: count how little or how small we can contribute, we can share. What is important
1: is our intentionality to help. And that is actually sparking the the hope of those people who are experiencing uh, difficulty.
2: We understand that uh, whole world suffered because of COVID-19, but in this difficult situation that Australian partners and churches open their hands, so this support and prayer help us strongly to continue God's work. And I say,
0: yes, we are stronger together.
2: The work our partners do is so
0: encouraging, and it happens when God provides through his people, people like you. বাল্য বিবাহ এখন অনেক পরিবর্তন হয়েছে আমার মা শিক্ষাতে যে অনেক কিছু পেয়েছে মুরগি পালনের গরু ছাগল আমাদের দিকে আমাদের যত্ন করে রাখতে হয় সেইগুলো পেয়েছে কিভাবে should শিশু নির্যাতন থেকে প্রতিরোধ করা যায় সেগুলো সম্পর্কে কিভাবে বাল্যবিবাহ প্রতিরোধ করতে করতে পারা যায় সেগুলো সম্পর্কে আমি চালক্রাবে গিয়ে মনে আমার গিয়ে অনেক কিছু শিখতে পেরেছি এবং আমার মনে অনেক সাহায্য হয়েছে কারণ মানুষের সামনে আমি সবকিছু কথা মনের ভাবগুলো খুলে বলতে পারি
2: Your support means a better world for children and for their parents. You see, no matter what's happening, we at Baptist World Aid still dream of a world where poverty has ended and all people enjoy the fullness of life God intends. Please join us as together we create a better world for all.
1: Thank you, Australia, for supporting us. There we go. That's enough of the advertising. Let's... Um, hopefully we've got a PowerPoint that um, between us and this... Am I allowed to move this forward? Is that against the rules? No? no? not against the rules? We're not allowed to move it forward. Okay. <laughs> um, sorry, it is still so far away. That's okay. So, let me ask you this question. When you look at the world right now as it is, what do you see? We could do interactive church, right? You could actually yell out some words. What do you see when you look at the world? What are some words that describe how you feel about the world right now? Oh, now you all do it at once. Excellent. Sorry, there's one over here somewhere. Hopelessness. Hopelessness? Conflict? I haven't got my hearing aids in, you're going to have to yell really loud. Uh, yeah, you, you heard it, right? You know what I like, it, it feels. It feels like the world's a mess. Have we got that first slide up? It feels like the, words, the world's a mess, right? Doesn't it? I've been thinking about this. Um, There's just been so much stuff going on in the last couple of years. Uh, There's COVID, and we know about that. You heard about COVID up here in the Territory, right? Yeah. Um, um, But even without that, there's just so much other stuff going on. It was about 18 months ago that um, there was the coup in Myanmar. Do you remember that? And then... um, only just over a year ago there was uh, the withdrawal of the troops from Afghanistan and I don't know if you remember those pictures of uh, US military planes taking off and people falling off the planes, so that they were trying to hang on to the outside to escape and like that was just burned into my head. I've got a, a friend in Adelaide who's a, an Afghan refugee. He was shot four times by the Taliban, still has a bullet lodged in his leg. No, The doctors won't remove it because they say it will actually... Uh, he'll have to amputate his leg if they remove the bullet, so he walks around in his constant pain. Um, I spent a lot of time with him around then, he was just so distraught. Um, And then uh, there was another wave of COVID that hit Papua New Guinea and uh, Bangladesh and India and like all of our Asian neighbours at the end of last year and then just after Christmas there was the volcanic eruption and earthquake in Tonga and like, it was just becoming overwhelming and then there was this rumours of what was going to start happening in the Ukraine, you know, Russia were, were massing troops around the borders and, stuff. and I actually really deliberately chose not to have anything to do with that. Not because I didn't care but I just didn't think I had the capacity to hold another thing, you know that feeling? Like, it's just too much, right? And... Um, Uh, So I I deleted my social media apps from my phone, I deleted my news apps from my phone, I refused to listen, if I was listening to the radio and I got to the news at the top of the hour, I turned the radio off, Um, I refused to watch the news at night, Uh, I just didn't want more bad news and um, my my kids, um, my oldest son who's uh, almost 27, it was probably the first time for him that... um, there was that sort of conflict going on, like especially in Europe, you know, it happens in other places, but it was, felt a bit more real for him and he was sort of, uh, is this going to be the start of World War 3, Dad? And I said, go away, don't want to talk about it, deal with your anxiety yourself, leave me alone. Um, and so, uh, just avoided it. Until one Saturday morning, Vicky and I are involved in a little church plant in Adelaide, we're trying to do some church in a different sort of way and we our main community focus is we do a pop-up coffee event at our local community centre every Saturday morning, we've been doing that for about four years now and um, uh, right from the start, uh, when we started we had this um, this lady who was part of our community, she'd come along every week, uh, I can only describe her, um, I need to give you a picture of what she's like, um, The she's a short, stout, grumpy Eastern European lady. Can you picture that? Right? Probably in her 60s, or probably her 70s, probably. 80s. Really old. She, she'd drive a... <laughs> hang on. <laughs> no, we're not going to do a survey. It's okay. Um, and so she, she drove this little beat-up Toyota Yaris thing that had dents everywhere. Somehow she managed to park that car across three car parks. Like... <laughs> Um, we we would we would get there. We, we started at ten. We would give away bread. We give away bread and veggies and all sorts of stuff. Have this like community market thing. We um, <laughs> we'd get there about quarter past nine to set up, and she'd already be there. And as we we're lifting trays of bread out the back of our car and carrying them across, she'd be going, rifling through the bread, walking alongside, taking what she could, taking all the best stuff, shoving it in a car for herself and her friends and her family and her neighbours and anyone else. say so she would take enough bread to feed a whole neighbourhood and no one else would have anything left. And um, we'd be setting up our coffee van and she'd walk past and say, coffee. Okay, it'll be about 20 minutes as a machine, or Coffee. Every time she'd walk past, she'd go and steal some more bread and come back and shove that in her car and coffee. Now, she was with us for about a year, a year and a half, and then she had some family stuff happen and she moved to the other side of the city. But it was one Saturday earlier this year where she turned up again at 10 to 10, which was amazingly late for her. But she turned up and she came in and uh, we have this rule. The coffee and the bread and all that stuff is great to help people, but it's actually just an excuse to have conversations with people. And uh, so we had this rule, if someone, if you get into a conversation with someone, then you're allowed to drop whatever you're doing and go and have that conversation, and someone else will just backfill behind you. So I was making coffees that morning, she comes and stands right next to me, and in her broken English, she says, can I talk with you? And I went, oh, okay. So I said to someone else, can you come with me? So someone stepped in and started making coffees, and we just went off to the side a bit. And in her really, really poor English, she said, I have to... Say this with my mouth, otherwise my heart will break. And you know those moments where you go, oh, it's going to be one of those conversations? Like suddenly there's this weight that comes and she said, my family were killed yesterday in Ukraine. A bomb fell on their apartment building and killed them all. And this thing that I'd been holding off over here for weeks and doing very well at holding it off and ignoring it, suddenly went Because when you know someone, when you know someone's story, you suddenly have skin in the game. It's not a theory anymore, right? It's not something you can just choose to participate in or not, it's suddenly there's someone in your life who is in this pain and suffering and you are involved. All that stuff has been going on for me this year, this even right now, you may not be aware, but we, the world is facing the biggest uh, hunger crisis it's ever had. Uh, close to 800 million people right now with food insecurity. That's like 10% of the world's population. That You know, when you go out to a Chinese, you ever been out to one of those Chinese bankers where everyone, although we were sort of doing last night, sitting around a table, 10 people around that table... If that was representative of the world, one of those people would be living in food insecurity right now. That's unprecedented. We we use that unprecedented word a lot in the last few years. Unprecedented and pivot are the two words that we really started to use through through COVID. But it really is. um, It's never been that level before. About 31 times the population of Australia currently today living in food insecurity. Lots of them really on the edge or living in what the World Bank and the United Nations call level five famine. Like it's, yeah, and you have to do a lot to get to that level. And it's made me wonder, we've been talking about a COVID pandemic for the last few years, Maybe, maybe what we're living in is a hopelessness pandemic where it feels like it's just so big. We can flick to the next slide. It feels just so big. And we go, I don't know what to do about that. I was sharing at a church a couple of weeks ago and someone came up to me after and said, how do I even pray for that? Like, what do I pray for in Ukraine right now? And my only response was, you know that bit in the Bible where it talks about how... Um, The Holy Spirit groans within us when we can't come up with words ourselves. Like, I think that's sort of what it feels like at times, we just, God's just groaning in this space. And all of that led me to ask this question, what if God really did want to end poverty? What if God was actually serious about it? It seems that He is because there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about poverty, caring for the orphan and the widow, talking about justice and talking about how we spend our money, you know, you were saying before, right? Over 2,000. I grew up in a nice, comfortable, middle-class Baptist church, and I don't think I heard one sermon in my whole childhood and teenage years about how we spend our money, other than we should give money to missionaries. And yet, it seems like God might actually be serious about this. And it's all through Scripture, all through Scripture. If you go, we look at Psalm 89. Powerful is your arm, strong is your hand, your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Remember, when back in the 80s and 90s, when I was involved in worship teams and leading worship teams, there was this... Um, Worship uh, music from Hosanna's Integrity. Does anyone remember Hosanna's Integrity music stuff? And they're on all their CD covers and their and their books. They had this little tagline that says, "Worship is just choir practice for heaven," which is sort of dumb. But anyway, that's what they did. they American. No Americans here. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not generally racist. But you know, um, Americans. Um, are there Americans here? Hang on, what part of America? Colorado. Oh, I've got friends from Colorado, you're okay, it's fine, we're safe. <laughs> I've got friends who live in Denver, so um, I mean, your football team's terrible, but um, go to Patriots, but we won't talk about that. Okay, so um, there's this picture of the, uh, on the last days... Everyone gathering around the throne and worshipping God forever. You know, that you know, this picture of heaven like that, right? All we're going to do is stand around God's throne and worship. My sister, when she was young, had this picture of, God's, of heaven being like this one long golden paved street with fish and chip shops down each side of the road. That was her picture of heaven. But We have this picture, we gather around God's throne. What if God's throne that we're all going to gather around, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and spend eternity worshipping around? That throne is built on the foundation... Of righteousness and justice it's what God sits on that's fascinating to think about If we go to the next slide I um I studied Hebrew for three weeks at Bible College so what you're going to get today is what other people think about Hebrew okay (laughs) Um, uh, and, and in particular um Tim Keller do you know Tim Keller So Tim's an American Presbyterian pastor, he's very conservative in his theology, reformed in his theology, he's not one of those weirdo, uh, left-wing, social justice warrior type people. And he says there are two words that are used over and over again in the Old Testament and they're used often together. The word for uh, righteousness is tzedekwa and the word for justice is mishpat. That justice word, mishpat, means... Uh, legal justice in the court system like we would sort of understand it, right? It has this legal sort of framework around it. That makes sense? Good. The righteousness word is really interesting because it talks about righteousness, but not righteousness as um, just doing the right thing, but righteousness as being righteous in relationship with or in relationship to, and so the righteousness can only be done in community and in relationship, which is really interesting to think about it. If you actually think about what happened at the cross, we'll put the cross in there because we're you know, a Baptist church and we have to be legal. And so um, at the cross where we, God dealt with broken relationship with Him, right? we also have, bro- we have broken relationship with God, we have broken relationship with ourselves because of sin, broken relationship with each other and broken relationship with our planet with creation, and and God is about fixing all of those through Jesus and us coming back into relationship with Him. So this righteousness that we have is in relationship with Jesus, in relationship with God. Does that make sense? And Tim Keller says, when you put these two words together, righteousness and justice, as they appear over and over and over again in the Old Testament, the only word that we can use in our modern English, the only phrase that we can use to try and explain that, is the phrase, social justice that we actually use what we have to bring about righteousness and justice for the community that we live in and the community around us in the globe. Um, there's an American, um, Anglican, a, what a, Episcopalian, I think they call him in America, Pastor Dr. Fleming Rutledge, who's one of the first ever um, women ordained in the Anglican Church in America. If we go to the next slide, she says this, Righteousness is relational. The righteousness of God is God's powerful activity of making right what's wrong in the world. There's a verb, there's a doing thing. God's righteousness is about making right what's broken and when you put it with that justice word, it has this sense of um, applying the power that we have to fix what is broken in the world. That's what God did, right? He applied his power and he's applying his power to work towards... We know one day Jesus is coming back and it's all going to be fixed and we get to do that choir practice in heaven thing. But we know that we live in in this middle thing now, this now and not yet of the kingdom where God invites us in to apply what we have, our power, our privilege, our resource. Am I allowed to say privilege in a Baptist church? Is that all right? Do you know what I mean by privilege? Let me explain what I mean by privilege. Um... I don't, I don't know if it happened up here, but in Adelaide um, during the early, the first bit of the pandemic, we had churches that were torn apart. Literally, churches falling apart, fighting over whether they should wear masks or not. Probably didn't happen up here. Fighting over and debating, even just having the debate about whether we should get vaccinated or not, and if I'm going to get vaccinated which vaccine will I have that suits my lifestyle better, right? That's the conversation that was going on in, in churches, not just in society, but in churches. Um, at the same time, one of our partners in Kenya, we were doing a Zoom call with him, his name was Charles, and he just sticks with me. He said, we need some advice of what to do in our community. We know that hygiene is really important for dealing with COVID. So could you give us some advice with the limited amount of water that we have to use each day, should we wash our hands or should we drink it? That's a different conversation, right? So having the debate about masks and having the debate about vaccines, I don't care which side you fall on that stuff, actually, but just the ability to have that debate, that's privilege. We'll go to the next slide. My least favourite passage in the whole Bible is Isaiah 58. So we're going to read it really quickly and then move on, okay? Isaiah 58 is one of those passages where people are complaining that God's not answering their prayer, that God's not doing what He said He would do, God's not fulfilling His promise and God says, well, I'm, do- I'm not doing that because you are just going through the motions of religion and it's not changing your heart. You turn up you know, if he if, if was talking to us today, you turn up at church every Sunday, you sing the songs, you go to a Bible study group, you're on a roster and you're serving, you're doing all the things that make it look like you are a good God follower, but your heart is far from me. And he says this this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly in prison, lighten the burden of those who work for you, let the oppressed go free, and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry, give shelter to the homeless, give clothes to those who need them, and do not hide from relatives who need your help. I know, we all have them, right? Are we live streaming this? Yes. Oh, okay, I can't talk about my family. But, um, you, know, you know, the ones the phone rings and you just sort of, uh, I'll get that call later. This sense of the way we live, the way we spend our money, the way we, the way we interact with people. Uh, God said to, the, to Israel, uh, you are going to end up, and you are, far from me, because your hearts are and it's not being displayed in your actions, you're just going through the motions of what worship supposedly looks like. The good news is that's Old Testament, right? So we don't actually have to deal with it. We, uh, we have Jesus now and uh, that's all love and joy and peace and happiness so we don't really need to think about some of that stuff, except that Jesus sort of takes it even further. You know that passage in Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats? You know that one? where Jesus says, not only, not only uh, do you have to care for the, for the poor and the widow and the orphan, but the way you do that is actually the way you care for me, Jesus says. Think about that. Think, go back to that picture of the banquet table, of 10 people sitting around in a Chinese banquet and one of them going hungry. That person, Jesus would say, is him. Would we ever sit at a banquet table <laughs> eating our Chinese food, our... You know, Mongolian steak or whatever we eat and and knowing that Jesus is sitting there and not eating because he was hungry and there was not enough food for him. Jesus says, the way you treat people is the way you treat me. Have you heard of the Benedictines? They're like a monastic movement a thousand years ago or so. Saint Benedict was a guy who believed the church was corrupt, the world was corrupt, he was going to go and escape the corruption and go and live out in the desert and just pray and read scripture and live this perfect religion out there and he did. And then he started interacting with God and suddenly realized that uh, this life that he was called to live, this perfect Christian life, could only actually ever be done in community. Which is a little difficult when your community is one. So he thought, what am I going to do? He gathered other people doing the same thing, so he sort of gathered them all together and said, how about we try and live this together? And to do that, they came up with what's called the Benedictine rule. You can Google it, I think it's 72 different things that they had to do. This is how they're going to live their life. This is the rules for their community. and About what time they got up and what time they went to bed and how many times a day they prayed and how often they'd fast and how often they'd be silent and all these things. You can read it, it's huge. And somewhere in there, I can't remember if it's the top or the bottom, it says, and none of this should be onerous or burdensome. (laughs) As long as you keep the 72 rules. But, they had this idea that while they were so disciplined in how they lived their lives in their monasteries, there was an an occasion when you could break the rules. If you were in the middle of a fast and a stranger turned up, you could break your fast to eat with them. If you were in the middle of a time of silent prayer and a stranger turned up, You could break your silence to speak with them. Why? Because they believed, Benedict believed, just in this thing about Matthew 25, that that stranger who's knocking on the door might just be Jesus and we don't want to miss an opportunity to honour Him and serve him. so if you turned up at a benedictine monastery knocked on the door whoever met you at the door would actually fall to the ground and lay themselves flat before you to give you as much honor as they possibly could to lower themselves as much just in case just in case it might be jesus is that how we see people is that how we see the people we bump into in the shops or the family that we try and ignore the family that we hide from when they need our help. We can go to the next slide. This is the mission of Baptist World Aid. Melissa said it in that video before, we dream of a world where poverty is ended and all people enjoy the fullness of life, God intent. John 10.10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The, he, the Greek word, no, the Hebrew word is shalom, where everything is right, where everything is the way God intended it to be—that's the world we dream of. What does that look like? I want to finish with this story. If we can go to the next slide, we're going to slowly go through these. I want to tell you this story. This lady um, I met in Cambodia um, about three years ago, just uh, just before the pandemic started, two years ago, two and a half years ago. We were in Cambodia. It was a uh, probably if we'd known what COVID was actually going to be like, we wouldn't have gone. Uh, people were just wearing masks and things were going, I was in Phnom Airport on the way home and we're all standing around, we're all wearing our masks and there's this little guy, little Cambodian guy who's about this tall with a suitcase that's about that tall and he's dragging it through and he's got a mask on that's sort of hanging loosely off his face and he gets somewhere, he's huffing and puffing and really struggling to breathe and um, he stops and he pulls the mask down and he just coughs everywhere for about 20 seconds and then puts the mask back on, grabs his suitcase and keeps going. And we weren't too close to him, but we're all standing around going, did we just see that? Anyway, so I was in Cambodia, and this, this lady lives in, uh, way up north by the Thai border, the last stronghold of the Khmer Rouge. If you know Cambodian history, the Khmer Rouge, uh, Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge just devastated Cambodia. And this was the area that they retreated to, their last bastion of support. And uh, so, just outside this village, off the road, just signs up everywhere saying "Don't walk here, landmines." Um, so still, landmines everywhere around this community. Um, uh, we visited this project at the end. We do an, we do nine-year projects. We don't hang around. We go in. We know what we do. We do design and development and implementation, and then we then we leave and we lift the whole community out of poverty. And so this is the end. And her story is amazing. So she had this house. We saw her house. It was. Um, On stilts, up about maybe a metre and a half off the ground, on stilts, this wooden thing, just one room with a door with a blanket hanging in it, that her and her husband and her three kids lived in. Um, One of the guys that was with us on the the trip said, it looks like the cubby house that I built my kids. Uh, That's sort of the space that they lived in. Um, and her community joined uh, one of our development projects. Three of her, all three of her children, were supported by um, child sponsors in Australia, and uh, she got to join uh, some other things that happened in her community—a uh, farming group, an education group—and so this was her veggie patch. She started this small little veggie patch that's now this farm, and. Um, One of the things they did is they built a a drop toilet for her house because her kids learned at the kids club that they shouldn't use the family veggie patch as the toilet, which is what they were doing. And they wondered why they were getting sick all the time. So she did some agriculture training and she learned how to uh, to grow crops and how to sell them and how to get them to market. And um, she started to uh, improve her income. She joined, well, one of the best things we do, uh, she joined a savings group, which is like a, um, a small community bank that's based in, in the community, where people together save money each month and then they can take loans out. It's like microfinance, but it's not funded from the outside, it's funded from within. They do it themselves. Um, those, I don't know if any did my workshop yesterday, number one rule of development, never ever do anything for someone that they can do for themselves. And so she um, uh, joined this saving group, she borrowed some money and she bought a couple of pigs. And she bred those pigs and she bred those pigs and she bred those pigs and she she discovered that pigs breed like rabbits. And uh, she had lots of pigs. And so she sold all of those pigs. And with the money she got from selling the pigs, she bought a couple of cows. If we can go to the next slide. Built this place to keep her cows And uh, when we were there, there were 10 cows. She'd had 15 cows. But she'd recently sold five of those cows at market for 700 US dollars each. And with that money, if we go to the next slide, she was building her new house. Just let that sink in. That's an eight-year project. That's her kids. I can't show you her kids' faces, but... And she did it all herself. What did it cost Baptist World Aid? What did it cost the Baptist movement in Australia? It cost us the money for education, uh, for um, uh, community education, for agricultural training, for those sort of things that we do through our local partner on the ground. Cost us I think 300 US dollars that we seed funded that savings group with and she did the rest herself. Here's what I learned, poor people don't want to be poor. And they can be the most creative, entrepreneurial, amazing people if you just give them that first little leg up. And then never, ever do anything for them that they can do for themselves. But help them. She's now a volunteer health worker in her community. She goes and teaches other people about how to keep the house clean, how to not use the veggie patches a toilet, all the things that she's learned. She's teaching other people in her community and in the neighbouring community. We're no longer working in this community now, they're done. They are out of poverty, they've got streams of getting their produce to market, they have got income, they've, uh, the kids are all got, all at school, they, are, they never have to worry about me- money for medicine or any of those sort of stuff and we're now going to another village and doing it in the next place. It's amazing. This is what God calls us to be involved in. And this is the work that we do on your behalf. If you're a Baptist church, you own us. You're my boss. So you give me any feedback you like afterwards. This is the call of the gospel. We dream of a world where poverty is ended and all people enjoy the fullness of life God intends. How do you see the world? Maybe. Just maybe there's hope. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you love us, that you save us, that we are grounded in you. Lord, as that old song says, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Let us see the world as you see it, in all its brokenness, but in all its hope. And Lord, would you call us again? Call us again to step into our destiny, our privilege. and follow your leading into the world to make a better world for all people. We ask it in your name. Amen. Happy to chat afterwards. I'll hang around over by the table. And if you want to ask any questions or fill that stuff out some more, I'm really happy to. But uh, thank you so much. Thanks, Neil, for the opportunity. And Bless you guys. It's great to be here.